0: Language and Power Podcast, COP26, Episode 2, After the Leaders' Event. In this podcast series, we look closely at the language being used in and around COP26. According to the official website, the COP26 summit will bring parties together to accelerate action towards the goals of the Paris Agreement and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Important stuff. Language is crucial to understanding the climate crisis problem, to formulating solutions, negotiating political and economic pitfalls. It's crucial to communicating science findings and recognizing the social, political and economic conditions which have brought us to crisis point. Language is interaction that can accelerate action, but language is also performance and performances can be used to distract from inaction, to avoid action or postpone it as much as to accelerate it. And language is what we focus on in this podcast. Hello, I am Michael Farrelly. I teach English language at the University of Hull. I'm a specialist in critical discourse analysis. And recently I've been working on uh, language and sustainability and just finishing off a book, Language of Climate Climate Crisis. Um, I'm joined by Tom Bartlett. Hi, Tom.
1: Hi, Tom. Hi Michael Yeah, and I'm Tom Bartler and I teach at the University of Glasgow where I uh, mainly applied linguistics which, which covers a, any use of linguistic theory uh, in terms of talking about real world issues, situations, uh, so a, a broad overlap with Michael's interest in critical approaches to language and critical discourse analysis.
0: And the aim of uh, the podcast is to talk about some of the language, as I've said, around COP26. Some of the things that we've been having today, so as we're recording now, this is the Wednesday, um, the 3rd of November. Uh, the leaders event is over. So the leaders are, have largely packed up and gone home. Uh, thing, Major things have happened at the COP26. There's been an announcement on the deforestation plan to end deforestation. We'll await a lot of details on that. Um, and uh, we've had various um, incidents of being the, uh, around the organization of the, co- the conference, which we'll come back to later in our soundbite of the day. Um, but what we want to look at for our language analysis just now are two of those uh, leaders' speeches, or perhaps more, more accurately, their co- press conferences. Uh, the first, again, we're going to return to um, our own Prime Minister, Boris Johnson he gave a, a short speech. We'll, we'll talk about that shortly. And then we'll also talk about this, the uh, press conference uh, given uh, in part by uh, Gaston Brown. So let's start off. So what happened here is that uh, each of, in, and this is quite, seems to be fairly normal practice for uh, the COP meetings, is there's a, a leaders event at, right at the beginning of the, the, um, the official proceedings of the event. And leaders of All the nations in attendance are given space not very much time to uh, talk about to to give a short speech five minutes or so and in this this case it was it was given in the form of press conferences so let's have a short uh, a quick listen to boris johnson's uh speech
2: good afternoon everybody thank you very much for for coming for joining us it's all too easy to come to a summit like this and get caught up in a mood of exaggerated enthusiasm uh, simply because of the very nature of, of diplomacy and the instinct to uh, be polite. So as this first stage of the COP26 draws to a close, and don't forget there are still two weeks of detailed negotiation to come, we must take care to guard against false hope and not to think of in any way that the job is done, because it is not. There is still a very long way to go. But all that being said, I am cautiously optimistic in the sense that on the way to uh, the G20 in Rome, I said to some of you on the plane that if this was a football match, then the current score would be 5-1 uh, down uh, in, the, in the match between humanity and climate change. And. I think what you could say today, after two days of talks with around 120 world leaders, is that we've pulled back a goal, or perhaps even two. And I think we are going to be able uh, to take this thing uh, to extra time, because there's no doubt that uh, some progress has been made.
0: Okay, so that's the first uh, minute or so of, of, of Johnson's five minute press conference speech uh tom what do you make of that
1: yeah okay so well, I, I, we, one of these things we talked about yesterday a bit was thinking of the situation and how the the, the language is important to think about the situation and not just the language and so what johnson's doing here he's speaking to all the uh leaders the all the, all the invited delegates and of course he's also addressing a wider audience and i'm quite interested in there's in situations like this, when people are addressing audiences from a podium or in this official way, from a lot of the speeches I've looked at, whether it be presidential inaugural addresses or in much more informal situations where, where I used to work in Guyana, a small organisation called the North European District Development Board, when people got up and made spoke uh, and situations like this, there's always sort of a tendency to, to focus on the event, to focus on the here and now and the participants, and then to use that to focus in on a current issue, and from there to move out from the centre, from the here and now, to talk about recent events and then link these to historical events. That's a sort of strategy that we'd expect. We certainly expect them to start off talking about the here and now and addressing the audience and referring to the events of the day. And from the two speakers we're going to look at, they sort of I wouldn't guarantee that that's the, the genre here, that that's the expectation here. But when we look at more of these speeches, we might be able to find similarities between them, which also mm. make the, the differences more interesting. And I think there's, there's some interesting things. Both the speakers we're going to look at today diverge from this. And Johnson comes in and and goes off straight away on a tangent, doesn't bother really addressing the audience, and doing all the formal stuff of, I welcome you here today with this suspicious occasion to do all this. Maybe he's done that before, but he, he, he certainly, sp- Go, go straight off script and comes up with this very ebullient character. And I think when we were talking about position yesterday, and whether something's a legitimate position, something you can do, he's got a lot of authority in, in terms of his institutional position as the leader of the the uh, prime minister of the UK, who uh, are the, the organizing the event, which gives him some leeway to go off script. So that's one one important thing: his institutionalized role allows him to play with the rules but also this is a persona he's created for himself he's someone who doesn't do things in a straightforward way he does things his own way and, and that's very clear in the in the way he comes in joking and talking about football which ideas will pick up on and also in ter- we sort of saw this yesterday with with Greta Thunberg the idea that you can have an institutional role but also the position that allows you to take up certain positions but you can change that through your personality you can adapt your personality so that in future events you can behave differently so it's this long-term persona of johnson and one of the one of the interesting things that i I noticed you know in amongst the way his way of speaking which will come back in when we compare him with gaston brown who's the the second speaker uh, how personal he is this is the this is the mark of personalized politics it's the way of talking about situations and uh necessities is very much so i think this i believe this We must do this. It all centred very much on the authority of the individual, what we'd call a subjective authority, coming from the individual himself rather than from elsewhere. And I just did a quick count as you were playing that clip. And even in that short clip, Boris refers to himself as I or me four times, and he refers to us as eight four times. We've got eight first-person pronouns in that short clip, which is very different from what we'll see with with, uh, Gaston Brown later on
0: yeah and that, so that that emphasizes i mean that either tells us about his disposition as to, to who he thinks is you know important or or it's part of this perform- and at the same time part of the performance of you know a kind of personal politics and a personal yeah. uh, authority that's engaged in this so that yeah that is very interesting um interesting you know following on from that that he also then as you know he's only got 5 minutes so perhaps, potentially that's why he might not um it might dispense with some of the nicety, the formalities that you might expect in longer speeches. So it yeah. does, does only have five minutes, but he does use some of that five minutes. I mean, this first minute that we've just listened to, one minute and thirty seconds that we've just listened to, um, he does use that to tell us about the time just a couple of days ago when he went to the G20 in Rome, which we talked about yesterday and a, and a little anecdote about what happened on the plane. You know, so it, it would seem that he's also building up a, a sort of personal narrative about around what's been happening over the past few days um, uh, in which he's been involved with these negotiations. Um, and I, and I, again, I think that's something that would be quite different to, to how we see what we see from Gaston Brown. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're seeing something of a persona being um, displayed uh, here in this speech. Uh, really interesting. One of the things that struck me um, is that, is that, you know, the obvious, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it, that that football metaphor, the five one down and, and, and so on. And I wanted to, to, to talk about, about that. And in language studies, in linguistics, there's a, a well, we, we look at metaphor. And one of the ideas, we use is that uh, metaphors, one of the functions of metaphors is that they they take a complex situation and recast it in terms that are more familiar to us. That's how metaphors work. You've got something complicated, being explained in a simple way, uh, in, in terms of something that you understand. So in this case, you've got the climate change. Um, and it's been explained in terms of football match. So he's Kind of guessing that that most of us are more familiar with how a football match works than climate change. So, he, so he's trying to do that explanation. Um, but one of the things that, that I was thinking about it here is that is whether this metaphor really is is useful uh, to, to 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 the situation. So if you think about this metaphor, you're at a football match. You've got um, two teams. On the one hand, it's humanity, and the opposition team is climate change. In his metaphor, we're playing this match against climate change. And what that does is conceptually separates the human beings from climate change. We're one team, they're the other team, and you know we're united by playing a match, but nonetheless, we, we are in opposition to each other, almost as if we don't have anything to do with climate change itself. We're not part of climate change. We're not on this doing the same kinds of actions as, as climate change. And this is a metaphor that you see time and time again. It underpins the um, ideas of when we're fighting climate change or combating climate change. All of these make a conceptual um, move, which is that humans are on one side Fighting climate change, rather than it's actually what we're doing is causing climate change. We're very much embedded in climate change, not, not separate from it. In this,
1: the way this metaphor. What do you, what do you think of that as a? Um, no, I think that's fascinating. Uh, I think that comes very clearly across from what he does. No, that was a great observation, and I, I think it it links to one of my long standing problems. I think with with Johnson and uh, and others, who in, in viewing it as an opposition between humanity on one side and nature on the other as if you know all we have to do is sign a ronaldo and we can overturn that 5-1 deficit late into injury time it's this promethean myth that that he's in a way the type of metaphor we use affects the type of answers we can come up with as well doesn't it yeah. Yeah. and this idea that it's a struggle against nature i know he's couching it in desperate terms in the metaphor five one down, it does link into this idea that, but if we try hard enough, we can turn the game around. We've got the, you know, the Promethean myth that humans will always solve their problems, that we are the chosen species and that therefore we are destined to solve our own problems if we try hard enough. And that's used time and time again to avoid taking drastic action. We do not, you know, we don't need to stop burning coal. We've just got to be clever enough to find a way of capturing the carbon and stop it polluting us. That, we'll, that we have the ingenuity and the skill to do that. And I think that is linked to this. It seems quite distant, but this idea that it's a struggle against nature, but we are the chosen species and we're really, really clever and we've never blown up the world before, therefore we will solve it. And it gives people this sense of security and avoids the issue of actually having to make really radical changes and start playing a different game. So I think even though he's counting it in negative terms here, it feeds into this long-term myth of the heroic human species being able to overcome
0: Mm. All we have to do is play harder. We'll beat it. You know, it, it's like, it is like that, isn't it? We, we can beat it. We, we've got got something that we need to beat rather than work, work with it as part of a natural system ourselves. So yeah, yeah. there's a, a very distinct, um, and 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 it's not it's not just Johnson. It, it, it's pervasive. It's that kind of oppositional myth, it, it, uh, metaphor. Sorry, is is, is pervasive in, in the way that we talk about climate change. So, I wonder, I wonder if there's a better. way. I mean, it just reminds me that you know, if if I was to sort of look around, my, my room's quite untidy. My, my desk is quite untidy here in front of me. And if and if I was to look at that desk and sort of say, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to combat um, untidy desks, and um, and you know, I'm going to start you know tidying up or get, get somebody else in to tidy up rather than just say well it won't be untidy in the first place because i'm the cause of that untidiness you know it's sort of you know going around the problem than uh, than addressing the causes it's yeah. uh, it's not addressing the causes um yeah okay good shall we have a a, a listen to uh the, our second um clip and this is from as we've said Gaston Brown, the Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda. And um, we'll listen to a couple of minutes of, of, of his, um, his speech.
3: Can we make a start now? Thank you very much, distinguished ladies and gentlemen, especially members from the media. Yesterday, two countries, Antigua and Barbuda and Tuvalu, launched a commission... Excuse <coughs> me. Launch a commission of SIDS, that is Small Island States on Climate Change and International Law. The commission was made operational yesterday and it is actually designed to address the issues of loss and damage as well as additional funding for adaptation and mitigation. But the main focus is on loss and damage. As you know, SIDs have been pushing to include the issue of loss and damage at various cops and it would appear that even at this cop the issue would not be seriously addressed. And we believe that this is a very important issue for small island states and we are pursuing this issue legally on the basis that he who damages must provide restitution. In other words, the polluter must pay. Now, this initiative is not intended to be an act of aggression. In fact, it is complementary in that all of the various efforts that we are utilizing to address the issue of climate change, we have now brought in a legal component which will help to address the issue of the abuse of fossil fuel energy. In fact, the excess use of um, fossil fuel um, energy in itself is a it thought on all of humanity, especially SIDS, small island states that have suffered disproportionately the consequences of climate change. And again, you know, it's very important that we fight on different fronts. And we operate on the basis too that in order to get justice, climate justice, we have to pursue different initiatives. And this is one of the newest initiatives In fact, I want to take the opportunity to uh, commend the Prime Minister of Tuvalu for his leadership on this issue, and also Professor Akhavan, uh, who uh, who has agreed to chair the legal team that will be responsible for providing the necessary advice and direction to the Commission. The Commission is open to all small island states globally, and even though the are two members that started it yesterday, we expect practically all members of EOSIS, all small island states globally, to become members of this commission.
0: So we'll just pause it there. So yeah, a couple of minutes um, of, of that speech. So this was actually the, the, on the opening day, on the, on the Monday. And um, yeah, we've got some similarities. So let's, let's think about the, the, the contrast and compare uh, of, uh, of, of Gaston Brown with, with Boris Johnson. Um, what did you make of his use of personal
1: pronouns, Tom? No, I think the personal pro- pronouns is, is, is really interesting there. Again, plenty of use of we there in that, uh, an extensive use of we there in that clip. And, and I think this brings out a really important point. There's, there's two important points here. The, the pronoun we is uh, very flexible. Uh And it's hard to know who he's including in this at different times At times he seems to be talking about himself and the leader of Tuvalu, other mm-hmm. times talking yeah. about small island states or small island developing states, the SIds he was talking about, and other times talking about the whole of humanity. That's quite a clever ploy in extending a need and a mission from an individual thing to to a group thing and getting people together and It's quite invisible at times; it can be used for good and bad purposes it's not necessarily positive or negative and we have to look and see how he's using it but also I think it's interesting that he does use we so often but it's recounting very much specific actions that people have carried out to start with at least not quite the same way that Johnson seems to be using we in this chummy way to create this sort of community so we can look at similar features and look at similarities of use but then in context and with with other in conjunction with analyzing other features we can see that they've been used in, in rather different ways which is interesting I'm not doing that that here but you know it's not just a question of counting the personal pronouns you have to contextualize them more but on on that point in terms of the i the singular first person singular there's there's one instance there well if you can i start now at the beginning if you don't count that one he he, the only time he refers to himself in the way that johnson does is i think this i want this i hope for this is to say i would like to commend to other people so Mm -hmm. (laughs) he only uses the i to, to commend other people so in terms of The personal pronoun use—I think there's some similarities, some differences. But even when there are similarities, we might want to look a bit deeper and see how he's using this word "we" in a a slightly different way. Uh, That's really
0: interesting. So you get a very different persona, a very different yeah um, yeah, sense of 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 their their own um, how they think about climate change, how they how involved they are in the in the negotiations and, and. the issues themselves, um, how serious. I'm not saying that Johnson doesn't take it seriously, but you certainly get a different um, level of of, of seriousness with with this speech, I think.
1: Um, Yeah, I think one of the points you said to me earlier was you you, again, you showed this to your students to to give me some ideas and they, (laughs) they spoke of it as the guy's really hasn't got much time to address. He doesn't often get the chance to speak at this international level and he really seems to be going straight to it. So in a way, he's also going away from what I would have considered the normal generic structure here, but he's sort of doing it because he needs to get down to business straight away, whereas Johnson is doing it not really to get down to business at all, but just to use that time to... To create yeah. this informal atmosphere yeah. so that i think that that, is- that,
0: that that is interesting i mean a, a big uh, a big shout out and thanks to the students at hull this <laughs> from from today that's this is two days in which they've been subjected to um you know my, my, my looking at these speeches but yeah they did indeed i mean what the response there in in, in that class was that um they felt that this this speech was much more uh, prepared, got down to business, was very focused, was very businesslike like uh, in terms of, you know, um getting getting down to business. Um they seemed to think that Johnson seemed less prepared and was speaking a little bit more off the cuff. And maybe that does, I mean this is this as you say, maybe that does speak to the different positions that they occupy and 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 the different personas that they they present to the world. So yeah, really interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Really interesting. Well
1: just one more thing on that on that yes. thing there, in the terms of this this impersonal style, whereas Johnson is extremely personal. Okay, he talks about we in terms of what we've done, but he presents things in a very objective way. You know, it might be we did this, but he's sort of presented very objectively. He uses a lot of passives. The process was designed to do this, but he could have claimed credit for himself. He talks about the focus is on, he uses nominalizations of events to talk about things. He removes the human agency, which again, that can be used for all sorts of different reasons, good and bad. But I think it's, it's very interesting what he's doing here is he's, he's making this very objective. But if we actually contrast this with what he's saying, which is mm. saying we have now actually created a mechanism by which we can sue the, uh, the polluting countries in order to get money off them and take, take them to court. and that It's a very strong and very evaluative message. So therefore, that contrast between the, the, the content and the emotion of the content with this very depersonalised, objective and straightforward way of presenting things is really quite, quite fascinating. It's a way of sort of taking this really difficult issue and making it just seem like common sense. It reminds me very much of a text I look at a lot in my own classes as well, and which my students have contributed to, which is Tony Blair's 7-7, after the 7-7 bombing in London, his, his announcement, his press conference, where absolutely riddled with evaluative language but he, he's, the way he presents it, he says, it's evident that, it's clear that, it will be discussed. And everything is presented from this very straightforward matter of fact point of view, as if no one could possibly agree with this, it's all objective knowledge. Whereas if you compare maybe George W. Bush at the time and Boris Johnson now, it's much more about the person, their involvement mm-hmm. and getting people worked up. Mm-hmm. Whereas Blair and, and also this, uh, Gaston Brown. Are sort of trying to get these difficult messages across as straightforward common sense and diffusing that really hev- high level of potential face threat, which, which is, you know, a great rhetorical strategy for good or bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point. This, the, what he's actually saying can very well be taken as a face-threatening act. And again, you know, from our uh, language background, if the face-threatening act, and, you know, this is also in sociology as well, you know, the, doing something um, which potentially... Harms the face of of the person that you're talking to. It embarrasses them in some way, upsets them in some way, and and you do you, you know you, you engage in mitigating language uh, um, moves and and games to to, to try and mitigate against uh, any threat that you might have. Any as you say is is quite quite um, uh, yeah quite powerful stuff. I mean, shall I shall I just read out what the how this is reported in the yeah. Caribbean Caribbean loop? So the, this is um, yep. Uh, the report of this speech, the Prime Ministers of Antigua and Barbuda and Tuvalu signed a historic accord in Edinburgh, Scotland today that will clear the way for small states to sue major developed nations for the severe damage caused by climate change. And just from that first sentence, you get a much clearer sense of, you know, what what the content of the message is. This is about legal uh, frameworks which will get reparations for the damage caused to small uh, island states. And so you, you wouldn't quite understand the sort of severity of that message from the speech of, of Gaston Brown because he's engaged in this, this, this uh, face face threat face threat mitigating um, strategies.
1: Yeah which sort of in a way connects with the metaphor in a sense that well when, when is something a metaphor and when it's not he he refers to a tort t-o-r-t as in tort law and he says that you know the pollution of the environment by the major polluters is a, is a tort is an infringement of the liberties of the minor states now is this a metaphor in comparing it to the legal constructs, or is it actually an extension now saying, "Well, that's the way we conceive of it; we conceptualise it in terms of metaphor, but that can become fact, and that, that he has now made that fact through, through this mm. the, the new law." So. I don't know whether that's a metaphor or not, which is quite interesting because that that links in with something else you were saying about the use of metaphor yeah. by Justin by yeah. Brown as well.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, we saw in the in the pre in Johnson's speech, you know, a very obvious metaphor, and uh, you know w- what we see is that very often novel metaphors, unusual metaphors, are the ones that stand out. But as we know, you know, there are lots of metaphors littered through language. They become naturalized because we use them all the time. Um, So there are metaphors present in this first short clip that we've got of Gaston Brown, but they are naturalized. But if we do pick them out and and have a look at them, I think we see something interesting with which we can contrast to uh, Johnson. So the kind of metaphors that I'm talking about, um, yesterday, two countries launched a commission uh, of SIDS that small island states are on climate change and so on. They, you know, they didn't literally pick up an object and launch it off into the sky or into space or anything. So, you know, once I say that, you can see that it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor there. Um, Another one, um, as you know, SIDS have been pushing to include the issue of loss, as though the the issue of of loss and damage is a physical object, which these um, island states have have physically been moving uh, and pushing along. uh, and uh, you know, and, and there there are others uh, through there as, as well. Um, but what what you've got with this is that you've got um, the underlying metaphor of these of these expressions is that that somehow he's thinking of this in terms of journey, so launching, moving from one place to another, using vehicles. You know, you you, you push. Uh, uh, a launch needs a kind of rocket or something it implies a kind of rocket where you're, you're, you're using a vehicle to get from one place to another place. And you've got this sense of movement, metaphors of movement, pushing things um, um, and, 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 and and so on. And that those kinds of journey vehicle movement metaphors are quite different to the conflict metaphors that we saw in Johnson. It was a very different way of thinking. So it's less obvious, but it's still there. This is being conceptualized climate change and the solutions being put forward to it uh, here are being thought of in a much more, I guess, guess gentle, maybe practical, but certainly less aggressive uh, kind of conceptual framework here. And I thought, I just thought that was very, very interesting, a very clear,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, any, any final thoughts
1: on those two? um, No, I just think it's, you know, it's, it's great always to be able to sit and to look at these things and start picking them apart and seeing all the things that come out. I lo- You know, this is one of the great fun things of linguistic Brilliant. analysis, when you can <laughs> <can't> <laughs> see yeah. these patterns and the-, the-, the many contrasts that you maybe anecdotally could talk about between the two speakers. But then, you know, you can really look into the language and, and find a basis for making this-, this, you know, discussing the contrast in meaningful ways. It's, it's-, it's great fun as well as really useful, I
0: think. I I agree I agree, and uh, now then so we we've started doing a, a soundbite of the day so let's move it's my turn my turn to pick a soundbite of the day and I wanted to pick out what I've got what I've picked out today I saw a really interesting uh, Twitter thread today from uh, Alexandra uh, Villasignor uh, uh, and she is a delegate at at COP twenty six and she puts out uh, a really interesting. um Twitter thread. and I'm going to pick out one of them. She did for our soundbite. She's talking about the difficulties of accessing the conference for many of the delegates. So these people, people who are not famous and, and not prime ministers and, and so on, but but are still delegates nonetheless, having difficulty um, accessing the site. And this is the this is the tweet that I want to use as the soundbite. Inside, it gets even weirder with civil society literally locked out of negotiation spaces with no video link or any other way to effectively observe at all. And that me, it struck me as really, really interesting. So even though you've got a lot of people gathering and descending on Glasgow to have this conference, the very, very clear segregation. And I wonder how, you know, how that will affect, that affects the way that the, the negotiations and the discourse happen. So from one of the perspectives that we use in, in language analysis or so discourse analysis, one of the ideas is that there are different discourses associated with different practices but also different points of view and one of the ideas of a conference i guess is to that, that you've got the opportunity to bring different discourses together so the what discourse is a way of presenting things talking about things a different way of using language and with such a complex issue of climate change and how you solve it given the current situation um it would seem to me that you you an advantage of bringing different people together is that you've got a better chance of seeing um, the issue, the complex issue in, in ways that uh, might be new, might be complementary, might uh, foster new ways of thinking about the the, uh, the problem. Um, but what we've got with this exclusion is potentially uh, uh, a, a segregation of the discourses so that the, the world leaders who've got their discourse, their way of talking about things, get stuck in and don't get challenged, get stuck in a way of thinking. Uh, the people who are doing the negotiations of the work don't get presented with other ways of seeing things. And that potentially is a really missed opportunity. So I just thought, you know, not not as, uh, not as joyful as yesterday's soundbite, but um, <laughs> I,
1: that, I thought that, important nonetheless. No, it's brilliant, I think, isn't it? it? It comes back in a way to Johnson's metaphor that if we're five, one down at half time, we just play up rather yeah. than changing the whole game or something. It's just we've got to try harder, but within the same mindset, doing the same thing, you know, what's the definition yeah. of madness is doing the same thing over and over again, hoping it will have a different result, whereas allowing different voices maybe opens up new opportunities. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant point. And um, I think this whole idea of exclusion and inclusion will come up again and, you know, who what it means in terms of creating a broader discourse, but also how people take part differently depending on their level of inclusion which we've already yeah. seen you know in terms of johnson who's used to the world stage and has actually just come hot off the heels of the g20 anyway and is able to refer to that and so how he was able to clown around because he's got all the time in the world was the point we made about gaston brown they're seizing his opportunity and getting straight yeah. to the point because he's not going to be included in these debates. Nearly as often as as, as Boris Johnson is, uh, so I think that's a fantastic thing that we're, I'm sure we'll come back to time and again. Is this idea of inclusion, and exclusion, and invisible voices? I think, sorry, just one of the things that critical discourse analysis is sometimes criticised for is only focusing on the voices that are there and missing mm. out the mm. people who aren't there. So it's a it's a really interesting point all round.
0: Yeah, 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 I think that's true. And I think actually, I think what we can come back to tomorrow is well, what is not being discussed. Uh, I think we'll hold that thought for now, but what is not being discussed in these public uh, public arenas. So with that, I think again, thank you, Tom, a really enjoyable um, discussion again. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I hope, hope you're looking forward to tomorrow. <laughs> Whatever it may bring. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you everyone for listening. See you again soon.
1: See you again.